Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be together on this day and, uh, and worship together, and it's a special day. It's a day where we'll, uh, in moments, uh, get to celebrate the baptism of um, six, I believe, people that are getting baptized today, and you'll get to hear their testimony and their faith in Christ and their story, a little bit about it. So uh, I'll try to be as... Uh, uh, thorough and yet brief as possible to get to that. I always say that, uh, as I've said, every time we go to the beach and every other baptism, um, testimonies often speak uh, not greater than God's word to our heart, but they speak in a really powerful, powerful way uh, to our stories, the stories of salvation. And so we can all relate to that. And so if you're new here today and this is the first time you've seen a water baptism, uh, Pastor Russell will explain a little bit about that, but it's a joyous celebration. But I want you, if you have your Bible, to turn to 1 Samuel 3. We are uh, in our series uh, using this as a launch pad today uh, in the King We Need, uh, working through Samuel 3, kind of launching into other parts of the New Testament as we look at uh, Samuel's relationship um, to pointing to as a prophet to Jesus, but also very, very similar story as he relates to Jesus in many ways. And these last weeks, we've looked at some identifiers of kingly uh, kinghood, I guess you'd say. And so last week, we looked at the word, the king's decree, and this week, we'll look at the robe, and we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, before I dive in, I'll just, uh, I'll get a little emotional about this. Um, many of you know it was a hard week for me. Personally, I lost a dear friend. And I'll be doing his funeral on Tuesday. And so I just wanted to say thank you to this church. I know so many of you have been praying for me personally. And um, I just, I, I know that's a, an important thing because I've had so many of you reach out and say, how are you doing? Praying for you. And, and that's felt by me. But as I was singing and rejoicing, I was just, just, just overwhelmed with the thought that this friend who trusted Christ was rejoicing in the presence of his Savior and that's the hope. I don't want to preach before I preach here. But that's the hope that we gather around as we come as a fellowship of believers. That's the gospel hope we have. That is just what we, we know and, and unwavering nature, what we can know. And so with that, um, I would also make this a shameless plug, but not shameless at, all, shameless at all for the grief and lament service tonight. Come tonight at 6 Maybe you're unsure of what like grief and lament worship looks like. It's taking all the hard things of the year. I'll be there, and I know it'll be a benefit to me just to be honest before God. We, we can ask the wise, and that's what we should do. But we don't always get the answer. But what we do get is met with the presence and comfort of God. And that's what I hope happens tonight as we gather as believers, pray for one another, uh, participate. It's a very private thing tonight in terms of our own grief, but it's also very corporate in nature. And it's very simple as we'll just come and worship before the Lord and be honest in, with him in our grief and then turn to him for hope and light. And so with that, Samuel 3, uh, we'll use this as a launch pad, finishing a little bit of uh, where we started last week. But before we read this, as we often do at this church, and if you're new to this, this is simply an affirmation the people of God in this community say about what we believe in the Bible as God's truth and what we want it to do in our community by the power of the Spirit. So let's say it together. Our pursuit is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the word of God. How painful it is to our souls, or how countercultural it is to our souls. We will follow the King into eternity. 
I'm going to read from verse 10 through 21. This is where we left off in 1 Samuel 3. And again, I keep saying this because as you work through the morning, you'll understand I'm not going to be fully in this text. I'm using it as a launch pad uh, to kind of transition um, towards the baptism today. This is where we left off. Samuel um, has been met by God's voice and uh, dealt with that with Eli and picks up in verse 10. It says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will, will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me, for may God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. With that, I would just invite you to pray. Pray that God would speak to your heart. Pray that he would reveal himself to you, make himself known. And we'll, uh, I'll pray for us collectively. You pray and then I'll pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it is life, that it is what we need in every part of our life to be pointed towards you and to your holiness and righteousness. And Father, help us to know you better through it. I thank you that you have gathered the body of Christ today to celebrate who Jesus is, to celebrate what he's done in people. And Father, as we look to you now, that you would just speak through your word to us by your spirit, transform our lives for your glory. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. I keep loving hearing that. My mom's probably like, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, if you remember last week, we looked at the king's word, his decree. And this is just by way of review. We said this, to hear God, the word must be revealed. And then we said, God has revealed his word fully in Jesus Christ. And finally, you and I can joyfully hear and receive and obey the word of God. As we looked at Samuel hearing the word of the Lord, it was God's authoritative word and decree, if you will, to Samuel. And he heard it and he received it. And we can know that fully in Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself. That's why we celebrate the season of Jesus coming to earth. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. And so this week we'll continue in 1 Samuel 3 as this launching point, as I've said, to focus on uh, not the word or decree, but the robe. 
the robe of the king. Very significant in Samuel and the Old Testament and allusions of it all the way until we experience in our own salvation the robe of righteousness. And as I thought about baptism today, as we'll get to see and participate into as a body, there's a great contrast between the joy and excitement of that and the text that we just read where God is delivering judgment for the sinfulness of Eli's house. He will be judged for wickedness and sin. But as I prayed and reflected more on that, I think they actually fit together quite nicely. You see, you can't understand the good news of the gospel until you first realize the bad news of our dilemma and our sin. And we always say that. You, you simply can't live in the good news unless you first understand why it's so good. Because the bad news is so bad in our sinful humanness. And so my aim this morning is to look at the events of 1 Samuel 3 as this launch pad into what we see in what several baptized individuals today in the good news that they have received, accepted, responded to in faith and to know what has truly taken place in the lives of all believers that we've been transformed and changed by the true king we need, Jesus. My desire is to bridge those texts as uh, we'll look ahead into Galatians a little bit, looking at the robe illustration and what it means for us to be clothed in Christ. And that's what baptism is a symbol of, really, is being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so let's look at 1 Samuel 3 and see what's going on there, and then we'll, we'll jump ahead. Remember from last week, Samuel is serving the Lord. He is before the Lord in the presence of the Lord, actually laying down in the beginning of chapter 3 before the ark of God, the altar of the Lord, where God was. And we know that Eli, who was the priest of the time, was off in his own space. And a quick review of that story, God comes by his voice to Samuel. He doesn't recognize it at first to be God. And he comes to Eli and says, here I am. And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back. He does it a second time. He says, I didn't call you. Go back. And then Samuel comes a third time, and Eli perceives, recognizes that the Lord is calling him. And he says, he'll call you again. And when he does, respond by saying, here I am. I'm your servant. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so that's kind of where we picked up in our text today. And Samuel is getting his Samuel in the word as a prophet. And the voice of God has now met Samuel. And what does he say? Here's what he said, what we read, and I'll read it again in verse 11, because it's really important to understand what's going on here. He says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, rather, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning this house from beginning to end and declare to him that I am going to punish his house forever for the iniquity or sins that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. Remember, Hophni and Phinehas were blaspheming God. They had disregard, complete contempt for the Lord. It's not that they didn't know him. It's just they didn't care about him. And they were stealing the offerings of the Israelites. And he says, I declare that I will punish them. And he, because Eli did not restrain them at the end of the, and 14 then, therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So what is God speaking about? He's about to deliver judgment for Eli's sin. 
All that he spoke about in chapter 2, if you go back a couple chapters, there was a certain man who delivered this news about what was going to happen to the house of Eli because of his sons and their wickedness. You see, sin against the holy God, this is the bad news, requires punishment. And all of us are in the same boat that way as sinful humans. And that punishment, which we see, which was able to be atoned for by the priest and the sacrifice and the offering, would no longer be good enough to cover or clothe Eli and his house. God is going to deliver a serious, weighty judgment against sin, which the New Testament would tell us is the wages, the wages for that is death on all mankind who never placed their faith in trust in Jesus Christ. And he's going to deliver that, and there will no longer be a covering or atoning for Eli and his house. No more will those offerings and sacrifices in which they were taking in uh, a, a wicked way and doing in wicked practice anyways. And it says, all who had two ears would tingle when they heard about this. Now what's that all about? You come to a verse like that, I mean, all who had two ears. So as if to say, sometimes you read the Bible like, well, what about all the people with one ear, right? What is he talking about there? You have to understand, and this is why understanding the Old Testament and New Testament is so important. Think of this, what God is doing as a splitting headache, a migraine that would tingle the ears of the listener. Sin so serious so grievous against God, so, so horrible to sin against the holy God. And that is our position, the bad news, that, that God delivers a judgment against sin so terrible that it would give anybody a splitting headache to hear of that. In contrast to what we read in the New Testament in 2 Timothy about what false teaching in the church does today, right? 2 Timothy 4.3, there will come a day where, where people will find teachers accumulate for themselves and their ears will what? Not tingle, but what? Tickle. People will accumulate teachers that will tickle their ears because that's a message they want to hear. A me-centered gospel message, a prosperity gospel, a health and wise, wealth, wealthy and wisdom prosperity gospel where if you just do this and if you just pray this, God will bless you and he'll bless you. Very you-centered tickling of the ears. This is not that. This is the full gospel truth of sin against a God that needs judgment. And in light of that, we can then understand the important nature of why God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. You see, that's the good news. But without understanding the bad news first, it's not actually that, that good in perspective. You have to have the bad to understand how great the good news is the holy God. It would make everyone's ears tingle because it was so unavoidably serious that all would know God's wrath and anger against sin. And so God would judge them justly and their sin would not be covered anymore. You see, friends, sin needs a covering. And all of us sit in the same space when we're born into humanity. We all sit in that space. Our sin needs a covering. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord, your sin needs a covering. It always has. It matters what we're clothed in, which is why the robe is so significant. Now, what is the significance of a robe? And I'm not talking about a bathrobe here. I'm talking about the robe you see in the scriptures. The robe is that outer garment 
And in the Bible, it's worn mostly by kings or priests. And it has this royal status and this significance. And it signified that one was set apart as royalty. And in the priesthood, it's set apart in consecration to the Lord. Within the priesthood, it symbolized holiness. Because these priests were set apart to be the representative of humankind to God. And they were set apart. And the priest was to enter into God's presence. They didn't just walk in wearing whatever they wanted. God was very specific about the kind of garments that priests would wear. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, other parts of Leviticus, that God gave specific requirements for what his people, his priests, were to wear in his presence in the Old Testament. And he did this because it had significance. And it pointed us, as we've been looking at Samuel, pointing us towards something And sin needs a covering and has always needed that. In fact, if you go back through the scriptures, all the way back to Genesis, what happened there? God created man and woman. He created the earth. He he said, bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them only one restriction. You can have everything. Just do not eat of that tree. And what did they do? That his word, his authoritative word, they disobeyed it. They disregarded it. They broke his law and they sinned. And that sin needed punishment. And at the moment of their breakage of that law, if you remember the story, what happened? They recognized that they weren't covered. They recognized their own nakedness. They recognized that sin had now made it that they needed a covering. And we know in that story that God, by his grace, the first time we see sacrifice and bloodshed by his grace, does what for them? He sacrifices an animal, right? Blood is shed and he covers them with animal skins because sin needs a covering. And so when we think of the robe, we often in the New Testament, and even as we read in Isaiah 61, as Nancy read, refer to it as the robe of righteousness for the believer, the one who places their faith in Christ. And that led me to Galatians 3 as I thought about the many that will be baptized today. And Pastor Russell, again, will explain more about that in a bit here, about the importance of the robe of righteousness as it relates to the believer. And so I just want to read. I'm going to flip ahead. If you have a Bible, you can flip ahead to Galatians chapter 3 as well. And I want to read verse 27, but I want to read it in context. Galatians 3, 27. I'll go back a few verses in verse 23. It says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And here's the verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Another translation says, clothed in Christ. Or I would say today, robed in Christ. You see, that robe represents the robe of righteousness provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is the garment that God covers each of us with when we place our faith in Him, that when He looks at us, Even in all of that sin, the same sin that Eli was being judged for, God had sent his son. And when he looks at us and we're covered with that robe, he looks at us as if we're washed as white as snow and as his child. 
all who are being baptized today profess that faith in Christ, even from a young age to an old, and have put on a new robe and are clothed in Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done. Why? I, I don't really understand that. How does it, how does it work, though, that somebody who has, has had sin and just by placing faith in Jesus Christ is now clothed and we wrestle with that thought because we still sin and we still have wickedness and our flesh does things we don't want to do. So how does that work? Maybe this story will help, and I think it does. It helps me to understand how this really works. This is a story maybe some of you have he- heard it originally appeared, and it's one of those stories on the internet. That some people are like, is that true? And as I looked into it, it's a true story, in fact, about the, the first child that they think received a, a Make-A-Wish Foundation wish. And this child was a child who was struggling from leukemia, and he wanted more than anything to be a fireman. That was his, his wish, to be a firefighter. And it said that, that this uh, there's a lot more detail to the story, but the basic idea that this fire department in Phoenix acquired for this little boy a uniform and a badge and a yellow sticker with department name and swore him in as a fireman. Took him places like doctor's appointments, let him see the fire truck and ride along on it. But it says the night he died, the fire department, hearing of his condition, sent a ladder truck to the hospital. And they had the nurses open the window And five firemen came in and sat with the young man for a while, and he would soon drift off to sleep, and then a few hours later pass away. You see, officially, the young boy was a firefighter, even though he didn't earn the position. No one could deny it. It was an official declaration. He was Phoenix's first honorary fireman, right down to the clothes. Like many firefighters, his funeral was a major event, the fire truck, firemen acting as pallbearers. In that similar way, the Galatians passage that we just read tells us something about what has occurred to us who are in Christ. Not because anything we have done, we don't earn that position and status, but it's born out of the Father's love and mercy. In verse 27, it describes our baptism with the phrase, we put on Christ. Or the term, again, put on there is often translated to be clothed in or to be robed in Christ. It is that difference, being clothed with Christ as we're baptized into him, that marks the father's children. Just like the uniform that was given to that little boy and the declaration and the honor given to him marked him as a member of the fire department of Phoenix. That was his robe. And everyone needs to be clothed in something in order to be saved. It matters what we're clothed in. Every person who wants to enter the kingdom of God needs new clothes. Our sin, the sin that separates us, the sin that separated Eli's house, the sin that was judged in a way that would make all ears tingle, the sin that will be judged on the final day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, how is that? Well, does that mean all people will be saved? No, it just means that everyone will know then that Jesus is Lord. All the people who have denied him in this life, who have not trusted him, who have not looked to him, who have looked to their own strength, their own religion, their own will, their own sufficiency, all will bow before the king. And all ears will tingle at that day of judgment. 
and only those who are clothed in the robe of righteousness will be saved. That sin needs a covering. And placing faith in Jesus Christ and in his death and in his resurrection is that covering. I love what Pastor John MacArthur writes about this. He says it this way, you can't crash the kingdom of God without the proper robe. You can't get in unless you have the garment. And what's the garment? You know what it is? It's righteousness. That's Isaiah 61.10, what we read. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has covered me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And so when you come to Christ, you put on Christ in that sense. You put on his righteousness. You put on his holiness. You put on his nature. And God sees you as righteous in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And you will notice, won't you, from the parable on, even through the Pauline epistles, the imagery of putting on a garment as symbolic or emblematic of putting on the righteousness of Christ. So when you become a believer, you did that. And the best word to use is in a positional sense. You did that before God and God sees you in Christ, we receive then a declared righteousness, but that brings us to the second dimension, and he's still writing this. Putting on Jesus Christ also is an exhortation given to believers. How can you say to a believer who has already put on Christ, put on Christ? Very simply, what he is saying is as this has happened to you positionally, let it then happen practically. I used to think of this in terms of an athlete who puts on the uniform of a great team. It's one thing to wear the uniform and be on the team. It's something else to play up to the reputation of the team. You are to put on Christ and keep putting him on and sanctifying of your lives to God. You are every day to continually more and more wear as the garment of your lives the character of your Lord. That's what he writes, the robe of righteousness to enter into the kingdom of God and to live like that in the world. The amazingly wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the king we need, went to a cross and he shed his blood for our sin as an atonement, a sacrifice, even taking on, if we remember the gospel story, the robe of mockery, the crown of thorns on our behalf, bearing our sin, and he died for it, and he took God's wrath and judgment that would make all ears tingle on his shoulders on himself and he took it and for all who believe who place their faith in Christ you can wear a robe that covers that sin forever one that God looks on you in favor and welcomes you into the kingdom and so I say to you all men need to decide what you'll be clothed in and all who stand here shortly in baptism know that baptism isn't the clothing. The baptism, the act of water baptism, isn't what saves. That's not the thing. It only symbolizes what God has already done in placing the robe on us. And so as we transition there, I pray that as you hear these testimonies of faith today, God will move us by his spirit to remind us, those who know Christ, to remind us of the hope that we have of what God has truly done for us. And for those who do not know Christ, who are here present, who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and clothed in righteousness, that you will see, by God's Spirit, I'm praying for that, that you will see that you need a covering. You need to be clothed by Christ. 
you will see your need for salvation, that by God's grace, he will place a robe around all those who respond to faith today. With that, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Russell up here and the several, and he'll explain exactly how this is going to happen as we move forward. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am so grateful that you have looked on me personally with love in such a way that when I was seven years old, I remember very vividly, and I've shared this story before, coming home from Awana one night after hearing the gospel, and by myself, not with my parents present, it was your spirit in me looking to you and saying, I need a Savior, and I looked to Jesus Christ as that Savior and trusting in him, even as that opened my eyes to the gospel, that clothed me with the robe of righteousness. And Father, that is what you have done in sending your son to this earth with the very purpose of him being the savior of the world. Father, it's not just Christmas as a fun, neat, nostalgic time to celebrate with family. This is you invading humanity to cover the sins of the world by your son living a perfect life and dying a sinner's death on the cross and raising victoriously over that so that all who place their faith and trust in him would know that they are covered, that they can look forward to the hope that is to come. And so, Father, as we gather here today to watch several baptized to hear their stories, may you be honored and glorified. May we just who know you rejoice that they are clothed in the robe of the righteousness of Christ. And Father, again, for those who are not, that they would be moved to repentance by the Spirit, to surrender their, their lives to you and to trust Christ by faith today. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.